Welcome to our clubhouse on this evening, y'all. Back on the couch. It's been a little minute. <laughs> it feel like forever. I know. I know. But then time seems like it's going by super fast. I agree. I was just about to say that. Like, it just seems like months are blending into days. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you're not alone in that. I feel like that too. Yeah. Like it seems like we so we were um you know, Angela Marie Publishing, we had a a table set up. We were a vendor at the Juneteenth Festival. And I mean, it's kind of similar to a wedding where you do all this planning, you're counting on inventory, you're thinking about what's gonna sell, and it's like months of planning and then Juneteenth is here and gone. Yeah, that is wow. Yeah. Yeah. So how have you been, Shonda? It's good to hear from you. What's been going on? Oh man, a whole lot of everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've been sure. making it though. I ain't go I I ain't got nothing to complain about, so hey. I'll take it. What about you? Girl, the same. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, everything. it's a lot going on for everybody. To yes. be honest, everybody I'm talking to is having a whole lot going on. So I just yes. be trying to be thankful. Agree, agree. I feel that that's why I love coming on the couch with y'all and talking about different things. It looks like I see Devin in there and Miss Taraji. What's going on? Hello, hello, everyone. Hope everyone's doing okay today. Ooh, we hanging in there. We hope the same for you. How are things? <laughs> uh, it was a day. Yeah. <laughs> it was a day. You know, it's like it'd be a day and then another day they roll into the, you know, just this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So most definitely a laugh to keep from crying at times <laughs> of course of course <laughs> well i want to encourage you you making it you doing it i i'm not one that's big on cliches but i do believe in the you know what doesn't kill you make you stronger and so you are just making sure that your diamond shape is just a little bit more finessed that's all it's doing mm-hmm. okay well yeah. i appreciate that 
You're so I like welcome. that. You're welcome. Yeah. I try to find little moments of encouragement because if we don't find them, life will send us a whole lot of discouragement, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Miss Devin, are you in a space where you can speak? What's going on? I don't know. She might still be getting settled, but I'm sure when she's ready to pop on in, she will. Well, I also see a couple of the brothers, Rodney and Mr. Burt from the Brothers episode of the Blacked Out Couch podcast, and they participate in the Brothers version of Unpacking as well. Welcome, welcome, and everyone else that's here for joining us tonight. We're about five minutes into our time, so maybe we go ahead and get kicked off on our topic for this evening now that we've done our little check-in. And the topic is going to be unpacking our last episode from the sisters, which dropped last week. Um, You know, money woes to money flows. And really what we want to just start talking about is the whole concept of money, the generational curses that, that is associated with that. Money, I feel like, is such a hot topic in the Black community that no one talks about because we assume that everyone is struggling, right? We assume that everyone's out here just trying to barely make ends meet. And and for people who are doing well, you know, are they giving back? Are they really supporting our own? Sometimes we call them sellouts. So let's let's just kind of unpack some of those topics and and see where the conversation takes us. So when we kicked off the episode last week, you know, we started with this concept of what is money. Um, you know, like how does this show up in our households? And we, we mentioned a few things, right? We mentioned that money can mean power, it can mean success. Um, but one, one, I guess, observation that Miss Janine made, which I really appreciate it, is this concept of scarcity and money. Is money scarce or is it not? So I guess I, I want to pose that question to the group here. What do we think about that when we think about scarcity of money? Right? Is it rare? Is there not enough to go around? Or is it just our community? <laughs> I think there's plenty to go around. I think it's a, a, a mindset of limitation. Yeah. That, that, that was, that was so, short and sweet. But I really think that is the biggest issue plaguing our community. Yeah. I think I agree with that. I think a lot of it is just lack of knowledge, too. Right? I think that um, we don't really understand this concept of value. Right? How money is really just supposed to be representative of value. But money in and of itself is not valuable. It's the access to things that money gives us, the security, the ability to, um, you know, flourish in the type of lifestyle that we want. And I think that we focus too much on the materialistic items when it comes to things that we want. But then there is a struggle component to it where, Mm -hmm. you know, generationally we've struggled for so long that this concept of having, right, this concept of 
being able to achieve or even leave for the next generation is just foreign to us. So mm-hmm. all of that being mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the mindset of lack and limitation is definitely programmed into us. I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't deny that at all. Yeah. And I think some of it too is some of it is that is programmed into us, but I also feel like a lot of it is um like generational divide. So for example, I'll I'll just use my upbringing as an example. Um, you know, I had a stable household, a stable family, a stable upbringing for the most part. Both of my parents were married. Um, They were married for almost 35 years. And I grew up with both parents in the household. Um, You know, we never had our house foreclosed. We never had, you know, somebody coming and telling us that we have to move. It was very stable. But even with that being the case, you could still see moments of struggle right you could still we still have moments where there are bill collectors calling we still have moments where okay i'm in college and how am i going to pay for my college right there were still times where i had to to work in order to make sure that i had access to pay for my school activities in high school too to make sure that i had you know the clothes that i wanted to wear when school started back up because there there were times where we you know i wore Maybe I wore hand-me-downs from older cousins, sort of thing. Um, and people made fun for me, made fun of me for that in school. So like when I'm thinking about that, this whole concept of struggle was embedded in my upbringing. And when I moved out, I thought, oh, I'm gonna, you know, do better than my parents. I'm not gonna live that type of life. I'm not gonna struggle, you know, and, and I kind of felt like it was their choice to be that way. And once I started living in the world, I understood very quickly how, you know, you can make X ten thousands of dollars and still be struggling because you have to pay for this. You have to get this registration. Oh, I didn't know about this. The concept of credit is a very alluring and dangerous concept. So I think that, you know, yes, it is generational, but I do also think the lack of knowledge and truly understanding the way that money works in the world is also a trap that sets us up for having without, that sets us up for lack. Oh, y'all, Miss Janine just joined. I'm excited to have her here. But yeah, that's my little spiel in terms of mindset and, and you know, some of the traps that we set ourselves up um, when it comes to just upbringing and the initial concepts of money, we're used to having lack. And even when we think that we're going to do better and break that curse of having lack, we're still not educating ourselves on the decisions that we need to make to ensure that we are setting aside cushion for a better lifestyle, not just for us, but even for those to come legacy family I grew up similar as far as you know having both parents in the household and everything and you know now that I think about it like you saying you never you 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 saw them struggle 
um, and you kind of knew about their struggle. Um, I had to go through some of the same stuff, like, you know, wearing hand-me-downs, clothes from the thrift store, that type of thing. But I always saw as, because, you know, my parents, they wear designer clothes and stuff. So I always saw it as like, well, you know, they just treat me different. You know what I'm saying? But maybe they was like actually trying to hide the fact that they had struggles or whatever. I don't know. But I, that was one thing they really didn't like about how I discussed things with my daughter because they felt like I, I was too open with her about my struggles and that that was something that a kid shouldn't have to know. And I mean, I get a kid shouldn't have to be worried about their parents' struggles. And I think we kind of talked about that of finding a kind of a balance where they understand what's going on, but not um, internalizing it or whatever. So I always thought we had a lot of money. But my mom was very frugal, you know, she's, my dad made a lot of money, you know, he, he's a tradesman, my mom got a master's degree, so I really am like the, the F up of the family as far as everybody's concerned so, when it comes to money, so. Girl, don't say it like that, you just different. You just I'm, had, I'm, you just, I mean, I realize that, but I'm just saying as far as everybody else is concerned, as far yeah. as things that get said and what goes around, like, I, I'm who I am. Well, <laughs> everybody else's opinion belongs to them for a reason. Other people's opinion of you is not your business, <laughs> unless you ask for, for advice. So that's just how I say it. But you are right. We definitely did talk about, you know, the concept of struggle and children and you know do you do you let them in on those conversations or don't you and we actually had a question it looks like brother rodney posted it in the chat on who else grew up on food stamps though so that's kind of getting right into this discussion i mean what what say ye crowd when when we're struggling is that something that we are supposed to let our kids know you know were there anybody in the in the audience where their parents were on food stamps, but they didn't know how we feel. How we feel about that? I'm gonna chime in and um, hello everybody. I've just kind of been listening and wrapping up at work too. But um, it was funny because I just had a conversation with my 15 year old the other day, yesterday actually. Um, we were talking about eating tuna sandwiches. And uh, my fiance was like, uh, I wish we had crackers. And my son was like, crackers, that's that's poor people stuff. Like you're supposed to eat tuna sandwiches on bread. And I was just like, son, do you ever recall us being poor? Like, I'm like, do you think we're poor? And he was like, no. Like in his mind, I think he thinks either we're well off or we're rich. And it's just like, sir, we're so far from that. And I was asking him about a time where we um, we were homeless, but we were in a program that kind of furnished an apartment for us to get on our feet. And I was asking him, did he remember living there? And he was just like, I remember living there, but it looked like an apartment. And I was like, wow, like we were homeless then. And I just did my best to make it look like home. And he was basically talking about... Um, how he didn't know the difference. And I think sometimes just as parents, we do 
make sure that we put our children in a position, even when circumstances are bad, that they don't necessarily have to feel it. But it also has me questioning, is that a good thing or a bad thing to um, overcompensate when those moments happen so that he doesn't know the difference? Oh, that's so heavy. And um, first, before before I, I continue on, I want to say, you know, thank you for sharing that. And I admire your resolve and your ability to overcome um, because I know that you are winning, at least in my opinion, the way I define winning, you are winning now. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you are able to overcome. But I, that is a question, I guess, that I don't have the answer to primarily because I don't have kids. You know, I do think that it's important to show kids um, the concept of being strong, the concept of of persevering, right, and not giving in to the circumstances that have been laid before you. But at the same time, I, I just don't know if it's okay whether you're struggling or whether you're you're wealthy, right? I don't know if it's okay to just not have the conversations in general. It seems like no matter what financial situation you're in, you should be talking to your kids about best practices and, and you know, decisions that you're making while you're making them, you know? Uh, Princess, if it's okay, can I chime in this, Janine? Please do. Welcome. Yes. Thank you. Uh, I, I kind of want to be piggyback off of uh, LaShonda and Devin um, because um, I think about my upbringing, which, of course, I'll be 50 this year. Um, and I grew up from a, a little country town, the most garbage county in the state of Arkansas, where, where, where mostly everybody was poor. Okay, but like LaShonda said, fam your family back, back then when I grew up, you know, kids stay in their place, adults stay in their place, and, and they never want to talk about stuff so much to where I felt we probably needed food stamps, but they didn't want the government in the county or whatever in their business, so they didn't tell their financial status. But uh, I felt we were poor if I was to look back, but my grandmother ran a store and my grandfather ran a... a a barbershop so they were entrepreneurs so everybody in the town pretty much thought we were rich but i thought we we wasn't because we had so many hand-me-downs and stuff but they they kept so many things away from us so i didn't per se grow up on food stamps but uh we got like you know back then you had the government cheese they gave out the cheese and the, the spam and all that kind of stuff so i know i remember receiving that but i would say i we should have got food stamps. They just didn't want to tell the business. But I can relate to me as a parent today, even though, you know, I went to college and I had a bachelor's and, and two masters and all this stuff. One point in time, I was on food stamps, okay? A uh, single mom of five raising children, uh, barely making $50,000 a year. So for the size of my family, I still needed assistance because I didn't have um, the support, you know, from, from the fathers for the children. And so uh, when I relate back to that, yes, my children, my children knew, you know, that I received it. My children knew that uh, I had section eight uh, because I had gotten sick as a school teacher and had to be on sick leave for a year. But prior to that, I still needed that assistance, not as much as when I wasn't working, 
but I had it, you know, a little, a little bit thin. But when I got sick, I had full fledged assistance. I, I had all of the stuff. And the reason why I shared that with my children was because it was a lesson about work, you know, how you make money, how something can go wrong. Are you prepared? I had no money saved. I didn't know what to do. So all of that kind of led to me being in that circumstance. And I use that as a time to kind of show them, okay, this is where we are right now, but this is not where we're go going to be. And so since then, of course, you know, I, I run a business, I, I make six figures and all, but you know, it's still kind of, you know, six figures is nothing when you have a, a family that size. And I don't want my children to have a sense of entitlement because yes, life is, is changed. We still don't spend money on, on indulging on Christmas stuff. We, we, we have experiences. We go places during those times. We may do, we may go out to eat on birthdays, but we still kind of live that same lifestyle as when I didn't have money because they actually or kids can have a, a sense of entitlement when they know that flow is coming in and you no longer with the food stamp so my children have seen different stages from nothing you know to something to nothing again then something and we have to be careful as parents i think it's important to share but it's the perspective of how you're sharing it not as if we're struggling but this is what happened this is where we are what's our learning lesson okay we got to do right by money how are you making your money what professions are you choosing how much money are you making what's your family size look like or you know so it brings on a whole lot of lessons about money but even though now when it's different all of them working all of them doing different things you know um we don't still indulge because we save we put away things have changed you have to understand you know it's no sense of entitlement because it's fl it's flowing this way and so uh i think it's important to talk to your kids about money no matter where you are it's just do you use the words we're struggling? Do you use the words, oh, we're bad off? Or do you say, oh, this is where we are right now. This is what we're pushing forward to get out of. And so I was always mindful about sharing those things with them. Not why, you know, not that your father's not contributing. I never said negative things like that, but this is where we are. And it was just learning lessons. So yes, now my children invest. They know how to put their money in place so they never get to that situation that I was once in. So it's all about how we share those perspectives, you know, with them or the moments that we feel are struggling. Do we make them feel we're struggling or do we make them feel we're going through something and this is what we have to do to get better? And that's what I was always mindful of how I shared it with them. Love that. Love that. Because I, I didn't really get that growing up. You know, I know my dad would always tell me, make sure that you never fall behind. You know, when he, he was talking about bills and who you owe and, and credit, because the amount of time that it takes you to fall behind, it's going to take at least two or three times the length of that time to catch back up. And I appreciated that little tidbit. But Ms. Janine, what you are doing with you and your kids, that's amazing and that's awesome. That's really awesome because it's setting them up to be wise. It's setting them up to balance the immediate gratification with, you know, future gratification and future security. And I love that. But then that, that kind of, you know, I guess brings up another question, which is how does mental health 
kind of connect with money because for me, I work in investments, I work in banking, you know, I have a, a degree in math. Um, and so I see different cohorts and have seen different cohorts of the world that have a ton of money, but they still have their vices. And, you know, believe it or not, a lot of people that are making $250,000, $300,000, $400,000 a year, we might think, oh, that's a lot of money, right? But they are still in a lot of debt. They are still living a very, what we call, levered lifestyle where they owe more than they're making because their, their mental health is still connected towards what they have. Um, and so how do we see mental health pop up when it comes to money management? What are some things that we can do, I guess, to, to make sure that we're being wise? Well, you you know, I I'm, I'll speak on this real quick and in short, but um, it's it's that 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 scarcity mindset about money uh, that I feel feel that was kind of been passed on from generation from generation uh, when we even go back to slavery. Uh, of uh, how we think about money, how we think about uh, progressing, you know, as, as a people and as a community. And so sometimes we, we get money in our hand and we hold on to it, but it's, it's really like three mindsets. You know, uh, the poor mindset about money feels like, you know, when I, when I get that money, I have to, I have to pay my bills. And I have to hold on to it. But then when you think about that, that middle-class mindset, you know, I, I have, I have, the, well, the poor, I'm sorry, we get the money, we spend it. The 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 uh, middle class is like I have that money, but I got to reserve it. I, I you know, I got to hold on to it and I got to put it somewhere safe. But with that wealthy mindset, the number one goal is when I get money, how do my money make money for me? And so um, it's kind of hard to have that wealthy mindset when we've been passed on from generations the wrong teaching about money and how money works and how money grows and how money flows through investments and uh that's the biggest mistake we can do is to be safe with it when the cost of living is going up three percent is going up and so uh inflation goes up is what i mean and so it, it gives us that that mental which is the wrong mental because money is supposed to go from next generation to next generation but we don't understand that our mindset and and the the being scared of what our money was meant and designed to do, holding on to it is keeping us very very limited um, on what money is really designed to do. So we really have to understand money concepts, money literacy, the difference between investing and saving, what it's designed to do. You work for money, your children supposed to step in and pick up, not start over. You know, and and we have to think about money from a logical perspective and not an emotional one. Absolutely. You are absolutely right. And and it, it's a process too. It is a process learning how to go from, you know, if you're starting at the, the poverty mindset where you're thinking to just spend, spend. Going from that mindset to the middle class mindset where you're like, okay, I'm at least going to put some money to the side for me. That can be a progression. That's still a step in the right direction because it can be dangerous. It can be dangerous to take your money and invest it if you don't understand what investing is, if you don't understand the risks, if you don't understand what we would call your risk appetite, how much would you be willing to lose before you gain? Um, that is definitely a conversation I'm sure, Ms. Janine, you have with your clients being what you 
you know, and what you do being a financial advisor. Um, and so I, I would recommend everyone who is listening, everyone who comes across this podcast, if you do not have a financial advisor or a partner to help you learn about financial literacy, make bets, you know, good decisions, hold you accountable when you might be frivolously spending or emotionally spending, I would encourage you to shop around and look for one. In my opinion, financial partners are just as important as mental health doctors are just as important as, um, you know, physical health doctors, because you need that checks and balances and that person who is an expert in what they do to help guide your decisions and to help you learn and stay connected with what's going on in the world. You know, I'm sure a lot of people didn't even know that inflation was at 9% a year ago. And, and even what does that mean? And, and how will that show up in my life? And how should I make better decisions um, when it comes to those dynamics? Absolutely. We have to unlearn to learn sometimes. Yes. Um, I for, I can't find the, where I wave my hand or say, hey, <laughs> I want to say something. Um, so I grew up in a household with my grandparents, um, so I spent a great deal of my time with uh, both my mom's parents and uh, my dad's parents, so both sides of the family. Um, so both households, I saw where money was being spent like for example my dad's mother i called mama listen me and that woman would be out in these in the streets spending my grandpa's money okay <laughs> so <laughs> so i'm watching this i'm growing up watching this you know there was no education for real for real as far as saving money you know, I can tell you, I can count my, I don't have two both hands and probably if I had more hands, but the number of times I was told that I did not know what to do with money. And I'm like, well, shoot, no, there was, you know, might really teach me for real. And that's, that's on both sides of the, you know, the family there. I just saw where money was being spent. I can say, no, I did not struggle because they both you know both sets of grandparents saw to it that i had what i needed but then also too as well as what i wanted um so anyway um but yeah just that i have a terrible relationship <laughs> with money i do and it's sad like if I, I sit here and i think about what my debt to income ratio is right now and i was actually working on that and yeah some stuff kind of occurred within the last year to where i'm like okay you know not that like all my hard work went down the drain but now i'm i'm, I'm having to I'm, I'm fighting to you know push through to get back you know where i was you know so anyway but um it most definitely starts at a young age and what you know what we saw you know what what did we see when we were what were we what were we taught and then also too you know like i'm 44 so there's that i guess if you say uh unlearning if you will you know uh, real quick and I'm, I'm done but like for example when my grandmother passed my grandfather had no clue what was going on okay he found out when she passed how many credit cards were present not only that but also credit cards that had his name on it. 
So he had no clue, okay, at all. At all. So that's why I said, yes, me and my grandmother was out here, you know, in these streets spending my granddad's money. So, and she was taking out charge cards too. <laughs> but anyway, but she, I just, you know. Go ahead. Um, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> oh, I just want to chime in. Uh, having a mental health nonprofit, I, I wholeheartedly believe that there is a holistic approach when it comes to our physical being like um a lot of times people don't connect that if one of our beings is off then our whole balance is off so spiritual uh emotional physical financial like all of those things to me connect and just to piggyback off of what the last speaker was talking about like everything is a lack of resources especially within our community we sometimes fail to realize that we are we're not learning or having access to the same resources that other um ethnicities are privy to and it's making it harder for us to have balance in our life um i'm just now 37 and i'm learning the importance of credit and building my credit and i'm teaching my younger children now how to do it even with them having an allowance it's like okay i'm gonna give you this allowance but you have to agree to save half of it and then the other half you have to make sure that it's a strategic thing of how you're spending it because we just didn't really know or or see that growing up we just heard our parents say i gotta pay these bills but it's like what bills like why do you have to pay bills like it just didn't make sense so I wholeheartedly believe that even within the financial spectrum of our lives, it affects our mental because we're not understanding that to, to be struggling makes us stress and it gives us anxiety. Uh, it puts us in depression when we can't pay the bills that we have to pay. So understanding how money works and like one of our other speakers said, making sure that our money works for us is, is huge. So making sure, you know, we're, all in sync and balance within all those realms of spiritual, financial, mental, physical, all of that. Absolutely. And it, it speak, you know, building on that, it can turn into a very dangerous loop, right? Where you're stressed because, oh, you know, something happened. I don't know, maybe you got a, a something happened to your car and now you got to come out X thousands of dollars, which was all your savings to take care of your car. And now things are falling behind. And then, you know, you're looking for ways to make yourself feel better. And now you're spending more money because, oh, I need to go treat myself. But now I really didn't have the money to do that. And you find yourself locking, locking into um, this circle of, of toxicity and that starts to feed and spill into other areas of your life and again when you're already coming from a community or a family that was based in lack <laughs> it, it's so easy to fall into those traps and so you're, you're absolutely right everything that everyone has said it's very important to communicate with your family spouses partners children about finances what's going on um, and, and also making wise decisions, finding financial partners 
professional financial partners to help you. And, you know, I have also been in situations where my credit wasn't so great, you know, especially being an entrepreneur. Sometimes you have to make strategic decisions on, okay, am I going to to take this bonus and reinvest it in my business or am I going to use it to pay down some of, you know, student loan debt or whatever, whatever. Um, but there are times where I, I would want to encourage everyone and say, if you are in a lot of, of debt and if you, you know your credit isn't great, there are programs out here to help you with that. <laughs> right. Even people who owe on taxes, there are programs, you know, a thing called like an offer and compromise where the government says, OK, you know what? We recognize that you owe us. But if you're at a, a point in your life where you cannot pay, we'll settle with you. Or, you know, they might say, hey, actually what we'll do is we'll, we'll wipe this slate clean and we'll start you over. And that can work with credit card debt as well. But because we have not educated ourselves and have not been educated as a community on those different programs to help us get out of that and overcome, we find ourselves feeding into what seems like a black hole of failure and lack, for sure. Now, I do want to talk a little bit more about uh, the role of finances and partnerships and family. So I want to bring a few of the brothers on. I see there's Rodney here. I'm going to bring him on to, to, to speak on the stage. Um, and I saw Jamal also had joined us. So I want to bring y'all on. We got Mr. Gang Type, Mr. Michael on. I call him Michael. I don't know if he's Michael or Mike, but I, I am interested in hearing from some of you all, um, you know, kind of from a male's perspective. How do you all think about money and maybe talk to us about some expectations that you might have when it comes to, um, you know, being in a partnership, in a relationship with a woman and and how she should hold herself when it comes to money. Do you expect her to tell you everything? Do you expect things to stay separate? What does that look like? What does healthy financial conversations look like from a male perspective? Okay, so can y'all hear me? Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Yes. Okay, um, I'm about to start some stuff. Um with 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 my uh, hot take here so um y'all y'all tell me if y'all agree or disagree with this so um just talking about money and partnership and uh, i want to just kind of stick to our community the black community um you know there's a lot of chit chatter a lot of debate online about um you know how the finances are supposed to go in relationships um and here's my hot take I feel like um, because of the way that black folks, because of the way that we've been, you know, disenfranchised, um, some of the things that have, you know, uh, systemically held us back, um, I think that it's, it's almost unrealistic to expect uh, some of the same, what I would consider traditional uh, principles, strategies as it pertains to finance. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's a lot of debate online about you know 50 50 in partnerships as it pertains to money um and you know my opinion is that it's, it's almost unreasonable to expect you know a black man to be in a position where he can you know take all of the finances on his shoulder um so i want to get y'all's opinion on that because uh, i know that there's a lot of debate about that going on and, and i just disagree with it i think that everybody's situation um, should be sort of a custom fit um, 
And I think that we as black people, I think that we um, put ourselves in a better position if we can effectively assess each other's situation as we go into partnership and then try to try to build together. Uh, so what are y'all's opinion on the whole 50-50 debate, debate and what you expect? So I'm kind of turning the question back around. All right, well, I guess I'll go ahead and respond. Um, I think in large part, I agree with you. You know, being in, uh, working very closely with Wall Street, I guess I'll say, I have counted many fewer black men in areas of high wealth uh, than, than women, to be honest with you. And when we're talking about black relationships, um, I do think that it probably is more common for the woman to be the breadwinner than the man. And I think that you have to meet your partner where they are and you have to establish mutually agreed upon expectations and responsibilities. And as long as each partner is showing up on their end as mutually agreed upon, that's what everything is is about <laughs> right it's about being able to create unity um and conformity within your home for peace and to build and progress together so that's that's my two cents i agree with both of y'all in the way that i grew up and i seen my parents do it my daddy was the frivolous spender he was the one who was gonna go spend all the money so when he would get paid he would get his money he would give my mama the rest of the money my mama also worked too though like i said she had a master's degree so my mama took care of all of the responsibilities as far as paying all the bills and saving money put money back and all of that so my mom was very financially sound. My dad lacked in that area, but they made it work. I, I love that. I love you that. Know, um, I'm going to step back in and, and just share a little, a little of my testimony. So, you know, I, I grew up in a broken home. And what I mean by that is that, you know, my parents split up and divorced, uh, you know, when I was in my adolescent years. Um, but my, my mother's parents um, was really kind of where I learned the foundation of, you know, family structure. And, you know, they had the traditional dynamic. My grandfather, um, you know, he worked five days a week. He got paid every Friday. He would keep his money, you know, for his liquor and his cigarettes. And he would give all the rest of the money to my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother never worked a day in her life. Um, she raised six kids. She was a true definition of a housewife um, and um, a stay-at-home mother. And so that was what I grew up seeing. Um, by the time I was a teenager, I, I kind of disagreed with, with their dynamic um, because while it worked, I mean, it did work. You know, my my um, you know my my mother, her siblings, uh, they never had to want for anything. And, you know, that, that tradition just kind of, you know, carried on with, with the grandchildren. But at the same time, my grandfather was deeply disturbed uh, mentally and emotionally. Uh, he never talked about it, but just, you know, knowing what I know now about mental health and, you know, going back and shifting through some of my memory, you know, he he was completely unhappy, uh, you know, with, with 
just feeling like everything was on his shoulders. You know, he, he cussed a lot, he complained. Um, the whole time that he was home from work, he was just complaining and complaining and complaining. And uh, everybody just kind of got used to his complaining and we got to the point where we just ignored it. It was just like, he'd be sitting in the kitchen just kind of going off about how he felt like everybody was freeloading off of him and, and, and uh, you know, just various rants that he would go on and, and we just stopped paying him attention uh, after so long. And so uh, it led me into like just a train of thought about, you know, uh, some of the old school man and, and uh, you know, them kind of having that dynamic and, and not really having a safe space or space at all to, you know, talk about it, talk about how it made them feel, talk about how they process some of their feelings emotionally and mentally. And so, um, you know, I think that kind of contributes to my mindset today uh, about it because, you know, while he did handle all of the expenses and, and, and uh, you know, take care of the family, we weren't wealthy. We weren't well off. Um, you know, there there was, you know, a lot of moments of struggle, a lot of, you know, toxic behavior that we were exposed to as children, uh, just in the house in general. And so that's kind of where my mindset comes from is, you know, I saw, you know, how it kind of tore my grandfather down, um, just being kind of treated as an ATM, because that's really the way that the family treated him. So, um, you know, that's just kind of my, my two cents, but... I was just interested to see, you know, how you ladies felt because, you know, I did watch y'all's episode. Uh, y'all, y'all gave a lot of, a lot of jewels, a lot of knowledge in that episode. And, uh, you know, I know those were just my questions. Some of my takeaways was, you know, what, what is it that you guys really expect as women, uh, as it pertains to, to black man and finances? Yes. Yeah, so I don't know if any of
I'm looking here in the chat and Mr. Jamal been dropping some gems. He he says he does agree with the general consensus that we talked about. You know, the couple should agree collectively on how the financial structure goes. Um, you know, and, and he also shared very similar experiences, Mr. Ronnie, where he said his, his great grandmother's husband was emotionally abusive um, to his great grandmother because of the fact that he was the, the primary breadwinner. Um, and so there's, there is responsibility that comes with being the primary breadwinner, especially when it comes to, you know, who kind of initiates the conversations, especially if you're the breadwinner and you're the one that, that knows what's going on with the money, right? There really is no reason for the household to be in a ton of debt and not everybody in the house knows that, <laughs> right? I'm talking from an adult, partnership perspective you know the kids that that's kind of something different that is up to the parents judgment but either way if it's a two-parent household both parents should be on the same page about the messages that they're sending to the kids what they're you know telling the kids and teaching the kids so i, I just think at the end of the day communication is going to have to be key and we have to make sure that we're creating safe spaces in our homes to be able to have those communications with one another Right. Um, I, I just wanted to add too that I was always told by, and actually by my dad, going back to what Jamal was saying about the emotional abuse, um, was that, you know, you always be able to provide for yourself, take care of yourself. You don't depend on no man to, to take care of your, uh, your, your personal needs um because that opens you up for that type of thing yes you know so it's um yeah. if i if i can just make one more comment and uh and I'll, I'll let somebody else out of floor but you know it almost seems like um you know you talked about kind of setting expectations and communicating the adults communicating with each other but it almost seems like that that um you know i'm going off of what shonda talked about you know, some of the lessons that her dad would hand down to her, you know, from a father to a daughter. It almost seems like some of those conversations need to be had with the kids um, in terms of the state of black affairs in general. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I keep going back to that, you know, because, uh, you know, Princess, like you work in investments, um, you, 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 you working around money all day long. Right. And so, you know, I know that it didn't take you long to realize that. Uh, some of the money, the access that, you know, some of the white peers, some of the other races, the groups that you work with, you know, they have access to resources and information that we, we don't have a clue about in terms of, 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 of the black community. And so that's what I mean when I say it's almost unreasonable and unfair because, you know, a lot a lot of the um, a lot of the, the dynamics that that uh, come along with money go hand in hand with, with information. Uh, access to the resources, right? Um, there's a lot of programs. There's a lot of different uh, ways that you can make your money work for you that we never get access to um, just, you know, at the grassroots in our community. So, you know, I, I do think that, you know, maybe, you know, some some things are more too adult for to have conversations with the children, but some of these conversations do need to be had with children uh, so that we know that the world that we're walking into because, you know, to send uh, children out into the world 
um, to think, you know, having them think that we are on an even playing field when we're so far from that is, is kind of reckless in general. And I think that that contributes to a lot of our mental anguish, you know, once we do become adults and we realize, hey, man, the game is free. While we uh speaking on, uh, what's up, everybody? I'm just stopping in for a minute. But uh, something kind of touched me in this conversation, and we're kind of speaking on the children aspect of this. You know, um, I got three kids. I'm going to bring a different angle into this. When my firstborn, I started paying child support on him at the age of two, really before he was two. And then, of course, I had more kids. And, of course, that got added on as a separate case. So I paid for two child support cases in the midst of all we talking about men and women in partnerships and, and financials. You know, uh, me coming from where I come from, a job just wasn't going to cut it. Um, me just working a job, paying child support on three children and still trying to, you know, be some type of support in the household was almost next to none because I was paying eight, nine hundred dollars a month out of my check for the kids. So that left me with, you know, barely enough for my own self to survive, let alone take the kids on trips, birthdays, holidays. I still have to make up that. I still have to pick up that slack because the kids don't understand that, yeah, I'm paying for, you know, as a dad through my check to go straight to your mom. But, you know, kids don't understand that. So it is important to have these conversations. I tried to have these conversations with my kids over the years and they didn't quite understand because it, it takes the maturity level to understand child support and things like that. So it's a, it's a real, for me, it's a real slippery slope when we start talking about this now. From that experience, because I'm, I'm off child support, I owe no past due, I welcome child support down, paid it off for all three kids. I'm very proud to say that as a lot of men don't do that. but. What I learned through that process is to become very independent upon myself financially. So therefore, because I am single, therefore, if I do meet a mate, a woman, a wife, or whatever the case may be, I'm not going to miss a beat because I've already established myself financially to take care of my household with or without. And that's just me being the only child going through what I went through. So um, I just wanted to kind of bring that different angle into it when it comes to the actual support and, you know, because there's a lot of different things. My grandpa did the same thing as y'all grandpas did, trust me, but times have changed. So, you know, it can't always be like that the way it used to be because there's a lot of different angles, a lot of different dynamics, uh, Me Too movements. It's just a lot that doesn't happen since back in grandpa's days, you know? So I just want to put that on the table and then I'm gonna step on back out the way because um, yeah. Thank y'all. Whoa, you just came in and dropped an atomic bomb. I was like, all right, so I'm going to tiptoe out. <laughs> um, but but seriously, a round of applause to you. Round of applause to you for, for still, you know, meeting those standards and, and, and really for real truing up to that child support. That is probably a whole session by itself. I'm not going to lie. Um, I have never been in that situation. I, again, I don't have any kids, so I don't have any baby fathers, but I do hear and I have had conversation with my friends who they choose to use child support as a way to force 
uh, demand to be involved in the, the, the child's life. And they yes. use it as more of a weapon and as a way to like get back at him or to make a statement or really to even feel like they have the upper hand in some sort of, of a power trip. Now, I'm not saying all women do that. There are some women who generally do need the extra income to support their children. Um, and I'm not I'm not talking about that, but I do think that it is very worthy to address uh, that child support is a very real and damaging thing if used in inappropriate ways. <laughs> the system the system sets it up for for it to be used in inappropriate ways. Um, and uh, you know, I'm I'm the same way, princess. You know that I'm I, I've been lucky and blessed enough to not have to go through that but a lot of my peers have um and and you know most of the situations that i that i can think about off the top of my head is uh it is those situations where you know it's being used against them in, a, in, in more of a you know manipulative or malicious way um and, you know, so i feel for my brothers that go through that um but at the same time like you said there is there are a lot of situations um, where, you know, it, it, it is something that is beneficial for both the mother and the child because, you know, the father is just absent from that situation, right? But, but these are all real realistic conversations that we have to start having as a community because at the end of the day, just going back to the money, uh, we not we not where we need to be financially as a community. And so it's, it's, it's almost problematic, it's counterproductive to kind of set the same expectations as some of the other outside groups, um, you know, as it pertains to finance. So, you know, definitely, I definitely feel you. Yes, yes. Uh, can I can I say something? Please. Uh, I wanted to to comment on uh, on both the gentlemen. Um, I, I appreciate the comments. Um, one one thing that I I realized with you know being an investor, being a this being a financial broker, um, that is most definitely literacy based. Because uh, I do, you know, literacy wellness workshops and you know all those things. Because I believe and feel literacy is the foundation of everything. And when you kind of really think back on it, um, when when you understand money is designed to bring you wealth. And when we go out into the workforce, uh, we're sent out without any financial literacy. They don't really teach it in school or they didn't teach it in school when we were growing up. And so we come out of school, we go into the workforce and we have no clue what to do with our money when it really supposed to be taught to us when we are young. And, and the reason why I say that is because. The way that we respond as adults today, the way that, that we do everything as adults came from us as children. We're taught, we're mold, we're sponges as children. So if money is something we're supposed to take control of from the age of, I'll say, 16 or 18 until we leave this earth, the majority of the years of our life, we know nothing on how to handle the money in that time. And so therefore we lose control of what to do with our money when it should have been taught to us when we respond just like they teach us everything else when the brain can grasp grasp it and do great things with it and so i think one of the biggest things is um not learning those things when we're young because it wasn't available to us 
but resources are there, you know, and I'm only speaking on experience because I, I do wellness workshop. I do literacy sessions. I, I try to like throw up the information, you know, on, on, on our people and they don't want it, you know, and it's free. <laughs> they don't want it. They won't show up. They won't, you know, do the things that are necessary for them to simply learn and it's free. And so uh, that's kind of like what I was speaking on. I think the mindset um, for some, because some people don't know, you know, that it's out there. But for a majority of the people I try to get that information to, they won't receive it. So it's still, you know, something in our mindset and our thought process about wealth or not thinking that it's available to us or or whatever the situation is but nowadays it, it is there we're just so skeptical of information as a people um which brings us to making those emotional decisions you know about certain things and i see certain people get some information that was completely wrong and they'll move on it because it sounds good and so um i think that's one thing that we really have to process is when the information is there have to switch our minds and understand that understanding about money is priority it's like non-negotiable and and we as adults if we don't learn how are the children gonna learn it you know because if they're not giving it to them in school it's our job to give it to them before they actually start getting that that money in their hand and i wanted to touch a little bit on on uh the child support situation because as being a single mom uh i i never forced you know my children um fathers to pay if they didn't pay because I, I understand the system you know the system is 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 crazy but uh from a financial um from a, a financial perspective and and i think no one really kind of sits down and look at dollar for dollar because honestly if a person just simply when their income made twenty five thousand dollars a year we'll say oh that's not a big income but if you look over 40 year period we touch a million dollars. We don't look at the big perspective. So when it comes to raising children, we don't really look at the big perspective of the cost. You know, we just kind of like, oh, they, they're with the custodial parent. Uh, that's too much money I'm paying. But the truth is, if you add up dollar for dollar for raising one child until they're 18, the cost is a quarter of a million dollars. And if you broke it down, it's kind of like about $13,000 a year. So I know when we are paying that into child support, it seems like, oh my God, well, I'm paying all this money, but this is this is unfair. But no one really sees it if the child is not in the home being raised and you're calculating the food. You know, my light bill is now higher because the child is up watching this or, you know, the gas bill is high because that child is contributing. Oh, I had to get a bigger space. So now my rent could have been $600 or $800 and now it's $1,600. So all of those expenses, you know, add up to that custodial parent. And I think that's a perspective that has to be looked, you know, from both sides, the person who the child is living with and how extra more, you know, expenses and costs of eating and all that stuff is, you know, to the person that's actually paying that. And, and that has a lot to do with that relationship. You know, uh, I hate because uh, I do agree it's used in the wrong perspective uh, when they angry at each other. They, those feelings are still stirring. They want to do whatever they can do to get, you know, to that person. But we do have to actually look at what it really actually costs over long term period, dollar for dollar to actually raise a, a child effectively, including their extracurricular stuff that, you know, that they do as well. I agree. I agree. There, There is 
there's definitely some dissection that needs to occur. Um, but if we're not doing that rooted in, like you said, education and using information and resources that are made available to us, then we're, we're really, um, we're kind of pouring into the toxicity and keeping us down as a community. Brother Joel, I think you were going to say something. So I'm going to go ahead and, and see if you have time to take the mic. Okay. Can y'all hear me? Yes. Okay. Oh, no, I didn't. I had put some in the chat, but first of all, how, how's everybody doing? Um, I I put some in the chat. I was just stating that, um, you know, as far as um, the education on finances, you know, I definitely agree with with what um, I believe it was Janine was speaking. Um, I I agree on what what you were saying i was just saying on the flip side of that is just that education is not there most of us um i, I would say within the country especially within the african-american or the, you know within our culture to say is we don't have a lot of money to pay for um to go outside of public um school education um you know getting charter schools getting in charter schools and private schools it's a small percentage of us that can do that. So the things that, and even within those schools, um, the agenda is not to teach us how to manage money, and not to be, not to be, uh, it's not the agenda to teach us to be investors. So um, we can have our own. Um, and so, without the resources. And without the help, it is a little difficult. I'm not making any excuses or anything like that. But um, especially when you're consistently in a state of mind of survival, um, you know, it's hard to think about what to do, you know, uh, as far as investing or even think about saving when you're barely making it in, in, your, in your living check to check, which the school system is designed to keep us uh in 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 that type of position so we can have more workers than uh than bosses and investors uh so but i understand though so i just wanted to make that comment that there was a a flip side to it that i had thought about and wanted to speak on so uh but thanks for giving me the floor though of course, of course. And I appreciate and agree with your perspective, you know, um, learning what I have learned about money, the way that money works, access to money. A lot of that was was on the job training. You know, you don't get that, like you said, in public uh, schools. However, I do also see it from Ms. Janine's perspective where I am an investment, right? And I could be talking to, to family members. I can be talking to church members who know this is what I do and they still don't want to listen. You know, um, and, and it. I think me personally, I think a lot of that just comes back to the effectiveness of tearing us down as a community that happened, you know, 60 to plus, you know, hundreds of years ago. We had a very thriving community where we trust each other. Black Wall Street was a real thing. And it wasn't just a Black Wall Street where, oh, they're trading with each other. It's like, no, we were trusting each other to build each other's businesses up. There was one man who had obtained wealth. He had obtained knowledge. 
And instead of just keeping that to himself, what he did was said, you know what, I'm going to start this community and I'm going to share this knowledge and I'm going to show people who look like me how they can also thrive and grow and we can support each other. Once that got torn down and, you know, once we started being pit against each other as a community, that trust has never been rebuilt. You know, for example, Miss Janine being a very successful financial advisor, investor, broker, right? I'm quite sure people would probably be more hesitant on average to give her, you know, access to their money to invest in, to help them make decisions with than they do their bank. And little do they know what banks are doing. Banks are taking our money and going and investing it. And they could lose it. <laughs> they could lose our money, which is why there's a thing called FDIC insurance, where the government comes in and says, you know what? If the banks happen to lose the people money, the people still need to have their money. Otherwise, this system isn't going to work. So what we're going to do is we're going to basically serve as a safeguard for any banks. I don't know how many people in this room noticed, but in March, one of the biggest banks um, in our country that serviced uh, uh, entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley, I'm sure we all know Silicon Valley, Facebook came out of there, Amazon, all these big companies, the bank that was pretty much created to serve that community called Silicon Valley Bank went under. It does not exist anymore. They invested in some things, um, lost money. The investors lost confidence in that bank. And all them investors pretty much lost their money and the government had to come in and bail them out. And so there is this very um, strong misconception and lack of education that exists in our community that makes us not even recognize where we should be trusting and where we shouldn't. And so I, I, I completely um, understand where you're coming from, but I also think that we we have to do better at giving our own community the benefit of the doubt and trust and faith the same way that we do communities that's not really meant to serve us because we are the largest consumer group. And if we funneled that money amongst each other, a lot of us would be in, in much better predicaments than where we currently are. You know, I think it also just, um, I think it comes back to being on the same page about the concept of money you know because like you know um depending on who you're talking to in our community you know you're gonna get a, a a different explanation expectation or you know definition of what what money truly is right you know there, there's some people that think you know a hundred thousand dollars is is a whole lot of money uh, there's some people that think you know a hundred thousand dollars is 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 really no money right so they'll They'll blow it and 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 make you know um, unreasonable decisions. You know, just throwing that money away and not and not putting it in the right places to where it can work for you. So, I think that it, it boils down to the fact that our community is so divided in terms of our mentalities about money, right? Like, you know, you can break down our community. Some of us, you know, who who have never really been around any real money, any real um, you know investors. Um, being able to see how the economy works, how the banking system works. You know, there's there's a lot of us that have never had access or been exposed to that. So their their line of thinking as it pertains to money is going to be quite different than those who have uh, been privy to, to, to that side of the world. 
I think that that, that also plays a, a big part into you know, why we continue to struggle and be so divided, to have so many trust issues. You know, it's hard for us to even talk about money um, with, with, with each other, whether it's, you know, your peers and your friends um, or your partners. It's very hard, um, generally speaking, for us to even open up and begin to have some of those conversations about money. Yeah, I hear you. And I think we're finding ourselves kind of in a circular loop because it's like, yes, we haven't had the exposure, but I also feel like a lot of us aren't really seizing the opportunity to get that exposure. So, you know, that's why conversations like this is so important for us to be able to start to create channels of osmosis and dropping nuggets and and sharing, um, you know, information that we do have to start to raise awareness. But I feel you. Shonda, you said you have something from the business side. Let's go ahead and pivot to that. What's up? So I was listening to because I'm I'm getting ready to start marketing for my 360 booth again. And I was listening to this lady talk this morning and she was talking about, um, you know, the marketing aspect of it. And she said something that made that kind of click when when y'all was talking about when you were talking about sharing amongst the community and everything. And she was like, you know, she's only looking for high end weddings and and um, and corporate events. And she's charging some crazy amount, like three thousand dollars an hour. And it made me think about like all of the people who try to hustle me when I was trying to, when I first started marketing my business, you know what I'm saying? Like people trying to, uh, not trying to pay me what I'm asking for, you know? And, and, and I felt like that, I think that's a problem a lot. People trying to, to not pay you what you've determined your worth for, 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 for your work. And I think that's a big problem. Agree. Definitely is a big problem, especially when um, people don't debate or disagree when it's when it's other groups, you know, other other outside of us. You know, somebody can say, hey, you know, this is what the rate is, this is what I'm charging. And they don't even try to talk them down. So I yep. definitely agree. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it, it gets back to um, and I think we mentioned this on a podcast. If you haven't tuned into, into it, but the concept of value. We have a very, as a community, we have a very skewed sense of, of what value is and even how to assign it to things, to businesses. I mean, even self-worth, right? <laughs> right? Like this, the concept of value is, is um, very misconstrued in our community. Absolutely. And I feel like I am a fair person. So, you know, I like to pay fair prices for things. I try to be fair. I I, I am pretty uh, detailed about how I go about calculating my overhead and what I'm going to pay myself and what I'm going to pay somebody else to make sure that everything is covered in a fair way. So, I'm already being fair. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't <laughs> don't try to lowball me after I'm already trying to be fair. Yeah. Yep. Completely agree. And I just would like to encourage you and, and all of the entrepreneurs out there. There is always a market for you. You know, there there will be consumers and customers out there 
you just have to put yourself in front of them and meet and cross paths with them. I, I like to say it all the time, Coach and Louis Vuitton and all of these high brand names, they said, okay, the people who don't want to pay a stack for some of my shoes, then don't. But guess what? There is a market out here who will. That's the same, that's the same thing that lady said on that thing this morning. She said, we deal with wedding planners and corporate events. I said, okay. <laughs> and that's just that. Especially if you know that you're going to put forth the quality, you know that you're running a fair and justifiable business. Yes, it, it is going to hurt, you know, when you cross paths with those people who don't see your value. Um, but it, it's also an opportunity, right, for you to overcome that and potentially to even come back to them and say, hey, you know, I, I know you didn't you didn't want to see it before but i'm still out here with high quality product because i mean i've done that there have been times where there's been a new brand or something and i'm like yeah i don't know if i'm gonna buy into that iphones is a good example i had an htc flip phone when iphones came out i didn't believe the buzz i'm like no nah, they expensive for no reason but then at some point apple just kept being a strong enough and robust enough brand where i said you know what? i'm gonna give them a try so i i would also flip it on that aspect and say sometimes we have to be patient as a community with those who don't recognize our value and don't understand the concept of value because that doesn't mean that they never will. Um, you know, states of being are temporary. Uh, and, and maybe looking at the time, I would love to encourage everyone here, no matter where you are in your financial journey, your mental health journey, know that that state of being is temporary. If you are struggling, you can overcome there are resources out there. There are partners out here. And know that this does not have to be your forever. Blessings are, are on the way. For those who are at the top of that game and feel like can't nothing touch you, I encourage you to still be wise. I encourage you to still seek out financial partners, still you know, seek out ways to be um, literate, literate ugh, have financial literacy that's adept, right? Um, and make sure that you have mental health partners, people out there to ensure that you're still protecting yourself and locking in that value that you've created for you, for your loved ones. Because again, life is going to throw curveballs and all states of being are temporary, but no matter what we can overcome, we can overcome. Amen. Amen. And Shonda just threw the chat. Never stop growing. Love it. Love it. So maybe let's end on that high note. Y'all, we're going to heal. We're going to keep progressing. Thank you to everyone who tuned in tonight, who joined this, this blacked out couch clubhouse unpacking episode that spit experiences, encouragement, and spoken to us. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all. And we hope that we broke off a piece of wisdom and broke off a piece of encouragement um, and maybe even conviction. If it's something that, that you like, ooh, wee, I need to grow from that. But we hope we broke off a piece of something that helps you enhance your life. Continue tuning in. And I hope we all heal. Have a good night, y'all. It was awesome. Have a good night. The Blacked Out Couch.